Okay, Boker Tov, we continue on the new Mishnah. We're at the very bottom of Chaf Dalet Amit Bey's 24B and Moi Kutten. We're going to discuss certain things that mourners are not allowed to do on Chol HaMoed because it is not in the spirit of the holiday, such as Ein Korin, people do not rip their garments. And remember, we discussed this idea. They don't bare their shoulders. It was used to be the custom then. And they don't have the special meal, the mourner's meal, after the funeral. As we know, the mourner is forbidden to eat his own food at the first meal of his mourning period. It's provided by others. And we learned this from, remember, the prophecy of Yechezkel where Hashem tells him you're going to be a mourner, but don't act like a regular mourner. He says, don't eat other people's food, which means the implication is the first meal back, the mourner does not eat his own meal. Now, there's a whole discussion, how many meals does this apply to? Tosa says this only applies to the first meal uh, that uh, after coming back from the funeral, and the Shulchan Aruch also rules it applies to the first meal and only if that meal is eaten on the first day of the morning. Let's say the mourner doesn't eat that day for whatever reason. Well, the next day is not considered that special meal. It's interesting, in the days of the Mishnah, the mourner's meal was served publicly in the street. So the Hebrew word of Mavrin or Havra means to feed from the word bor which means food okay so that's the way they used to do it when a mourner mourned it was outside it was like a big deal so to speak I guess giving them a lot of social support so you don't that's normally what you do but we don't do that on Chol Hamoid okay but this is only for Ella Krov of Shalmes but um, but the relatives of the deceased, okay, meaning to say immediate relatives, the seven uh, immediate relatives, okay. Uh, so you, but you, this would normally be done, okay. The ein mavrim ella almita sukufa. Nor do we serve the mourner's meal except on an upright bed. The mourner sits on an overturned bed usually, but those who serve the meal and join in the mourner sit on upright beds. Some explain even the mourner sits on an upright bed during this meal out of respect for those who join them. Okay. Uh, so again, uh, we're talking about cholamoid. And this mission is teaching when expressions of mourning have to be kept to a minimum. So it's a, it's forbidden for anyone other than the immediate relatives to do the following. So therefore, as we reread the Mishnah, when it says you don't rip, you don't bear the shoulder, and you don't have that special meal, that means everybody else but the seven essential mourners, they do rip their garments on Cholomoid. They do bare their shoulders. They do have this meal. Okay, but everybody else, 
who might have wanted to cannot do that. Maybe during a regular morning this can be done, but not on Chol Hamoid. Okay? And then, uh, and everyone else as well um, doesn't um, use the straight up uh, bed. Similar idea. So it comes out, so if you really have a funeral on Cholomoyed, the essential relatives do rip their garments. We don't bear shoulders anymore, but they do have this meal, this first meal. That is the essential halacha that comes out of this. Yeah? Upright beds does it mean not overturned beds. It doesn't mean like upright bed. It means overturned, right? I'm kind of confused about this. Regular, regular. You have a regular bed. You have a regular bed. But we don't do this anymore, so that's not no gap. Okay, that's the mission. A very brief. Now the Gemara is going to question the limitation of this. Okay, who, who, we said only the seven relatives. So the Gemara is going to say, well, I guess, I guess only for the seven relatives. Nobody else can do that. They were excluding a lot of people, such as Vafilu Chacham. Does this even apply if the person we're mourning to is a sage? Now, what do we know? You're telling me only the seven relatives, nothing else. What about if a big Talmud Chacham dies? For Tanya, we learned in Rebraisa, Chacham Shemesh, a Chacham who dies, Hakol Krogovov. Everybody is considered his relative. Right? Wait a minute. Hakol Krogovov. Everybody's his relative. Solkadaitach. You think that's what it means? El Hakol Kikrovov. Everyone's like his relative with an obligation to mourn for him. Talking about a big, big rabbi. Okay? So Hakol Krovov, which means Hakol Chorilov. Everybody rips garments over him. Hakol Cholzenlov. Everybody bears shoulders over him. Hakol Mavrinalov Berachov. And everybody eats the mourner's meal in the street over him. So why are you telling me only the seven relatives? It should be even anybody who's mourning for a chacham. So the more answers, our Mishnah is speaking in a case, lo no, we're speaking the lav chacham We're in a case where there is only relatives. That's the only ones. And it's not a sage. You're right. If it was a chacham, we would do the same thing. Our mission is not speaking about with a chacham. Our mission is speaking only when you're only the relatives is a situation of mourning for that. Okay? Mar says, wait a minute. How about if the Jew who dies is a kosher Jew? The autumn kosher who? If the deceased was an upright person, one is surely obligated to rip your garment from Ibn Al-Khalamayid. Who's an upright person? Someone who's not suspected of any transgression and who did not fail to fulfill any mitzvah that he could. Even though he's not a great Torah scholar, so have to mourn for him. The difference is that for a sage, anyone who hears a report of death within 30 days is required to rip their garments, while an upright person only at the burial. Now, what was that the halacha? The Ramah says that nowadays it's customary only for those who are present at the death of a right, right person. We're there when he dies, which is not that often. But anyway, right now they're saying you have to mourn for an upright person. And to Tanya, before we learn in a price, the same thing. Interesting. Gamora ask, why do we see there are some people whose children die when they're minors? As what, ha- what sin has the parents done that the children die when they're young. 
So Gemara gives one answer, but it's quickly misunderstood and corrected. So that they will mourn and weep over a kosher Jew. So Gemara says, what? You mean to say that we will weep and mourn? Do we take a security for them in advance in order to make sure that they mourn? You have a person's little children die, so if a kosher person dies, they'll mourn for them? No, that's not what it means. It means like this. The reason why the kids die, because they did not mourn for a kosher Jew when he did die. In other words, if a proper Jew dies and it doesn't impact you at all, there's a problem there. And therefore what happens is Hashem punishes you that your little children die. Now, as a general rule, God does not punish children for the sins of their parents. Rather, when judged on their own. That's what it says. However, Rashi explains that this applies only when one is in the words of the verse already a man, an independent adult. In other words, if, an ad, if a parent does a sin and a child is an adult, he does not die for the sins of his parents. When one's children are minors, they're seen as elements of their parents' domain. They're like an extension of the parent and therefore are subject to harm as a result of their parents' misdeeds. Now, our Gemara does not mean that one will lose his children as a punishment for not mourning because Gemara and Shabbos lists other serious transgressions for which one is punished with the loss of a child. Brysa means that if he would mourn an upright person, that act would atone for his prior transgressions, which made him liable to lose his children. Failing to take that opportunity for atonement will result in the loss of the children. So let's give an example. We know Gomorrah says that when there's machloikas, unwarranted machloikas, children die for, for machloikas. Little children die. And the example is Kairach. Because we know that even the little children of that rebellious group die. So let so that is something if you're gonna make if you're a Baumachloikas, then you're you're and we know lots of stories. Uh, the famous one with the Chafetz Chaim, we know that in Raden there was a big machloikas going on between two families. And as time was passing, one by one, the children of the Bali Machlokas were dying. And each side lost a few children. So the Chavetz Chaim calls one of the parents over and says, listen, my friend, he opens up the Gemara. He shows them, don't you understand your children are dying because of Machlokas? To which the answer was, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, all my children can die as long as I win the Machlokas. Okay. So, soigetus. So, let's say you're a big Baal Machlokas. Okay. So, if you, and you're unrepentant. So, your children are going to die. But, if you go and mourn for a person properly, that can cancel it out. And therefore, the children don't have to die. But if you don't mourn properly and you're a Baal Machlokas, then, then the children will die. Okay? Because we know, anyone who cries over and mourns for a kosher Jew, 
They forgive him for all of his sins. Okay. Because the respect he paid to that person. Anyway, and I guess that would mean you'd have to say that if he's paying respect to a dead person, it probably prompts him to do tshuva for everything else he's done. Because if he doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense. Okay. So, uh, but either way, so that's it's unfortunate. There are children who, who pass because of their parents' sins. And, not, and the children didn't do anything wrong. And that's not considered a punishment to the child. It's considered a punishment to the parent. Okay. Either way, what do you see? You're supposed to mourn for a kosher Jew. And the Mishnah says, even, and we appear even on Cholomoyed. And the Mishnah says, no, you only mourn for the seven relatives on Cholomoyed. Enough for kosher Jew. So again, the Morris answer is going to be the same thing. The Mishnah is speaking in a case, to love Adam kosher who, that there is no kosher Jew. That's not the case of the Mishnah. It was relative, it was not a kosher Jew. What we no, we said a Jew who doesn't sin try really does his best to not do any of errors. Okay, you know, it's it's not our place to decide. You no, know, this halacha it's hard to implement because it's hard for us to say who is a kosher Jew. Yeah. But uh, right. So since we're not sure, we're not going to start ripping our. But we already said that according to some. Nowadays, the Allah is only if you're there when he dies. Yeah. If you see, a, if you're in the hospital and you're seeing a kosher Jew die, then that Allah still applies. You rip your garment. But otherwise, it's hard to enforce. So anyway, so our mission that's saying on Cholamite, the seven closest relatives mourn in these specific ways. And we're speaking where it's not a Chacham and it's not a kosher Jew. Okay? And, but, oh, so now you're going to see... E the koi now the more asked further, but e the koi hosam bishasnashinsha. But what if you're standing there at the time that his soul leaves? The kosher Jew. Khyuva Machaiv, you would definitely be obligated to render your garments. Did Tani because we learned in her briser of Shim Shim bin Alazar Oimer, he says, We stand by really not even a kosher Jew, we're saying by any Jew. You stand by any Jew. When he dies, chayavli kra, you have to rip your garment. Why, lama? Why? Because that doyma was is considered to let's say for Torah shenisraf, like a Torah that has burnt. We says a big connection between a Jew and a sefer Torah. And with sefer Torah, you're seeing a sefer Torah being born. Shachayavli kra, you have to rip your garments from this. So therefore, the soul of any decent Jew is analogous to a Torah scroll. So why isn't that mentioned? Shouldn't that be a case that you everyone rips their garments? So again, the Gemara says the lokoi hosim b'shas yitzias neshwama. You want nobody? Not, the case is not that there was anybody there that they saw he died. In other words, our Mishnah that says only for seven close relatives do you have these types of mourning practices is speaking in a case where the person we're mourning for is not a chacham, is not an adam kosher, and we were not there at the time when he passed. So, in other words, if it was also big Talmud Chacham, it was an autumn kosher, you were there time past, you would do these types of mourning as well, such as ripping the garments and having that first meal given to you by others. Okay, that's the way we understand the mission. So now we have a couple stories that seem to be maybe at odds to what's going on over here. 
So, Kinoch Nafsheda Rav Safra. When uh, Rav Safra passed away, okay, and uh, really, little means comes to rest where the soul rests. So, what happened? Lo Karur Rabbon and Aleyah. The rabbis did not rip their garments over him. Amru, Amri, they said, you're probably looking at us, why aren't we ripping our garments? The answer is, Lo Gamrinan Mine, because we didn't learn anything from him. Okay, and therefore we're not obliged to rip our garments. In other words, he had a different yeshiva. He was a different yeshiva, and he wasn't in this yeshiva. Now, the rabbis misunderstood the price above, which states that when a sage dies, everyone has to rip their garments. They interpreted it referring only to a sage who's one's teacher. That's what they thought it meant. <laughs> so there's an obvious question. Wait a minute. So let's say it wasn't their teacher. Was he at least an upright Jew? Shouldn't they rip their garments because he's an upright Jew? The answer is, as we said, one's required to rent his garments coming up for Jew only if he was in the deceased presence before the burial. But these rabbis weren't there. Okay. All right. But anyway, so the reason they didn't I his so they thought because he wasn't their teacher. Well, Amrilahu Abai, but Abai said to them, Me Tanya Harav Shemes. Does it say in the Brisa a, a teacher who dies? A Rav is a teacher. It doesn't say it says Chacham Shemes, a wise person, a sage who dies. So even if you didn't learn from him, you should have mourned for him. For oh, then also, call Yoma Puma And furthermore, every day his teachings are studied by us in the study hall. Even if he's not our Rebbe, but we bring his teachings and we learn his teachings in the study hall. So, so uh, you know, it seems to be a problem. So then, so they were wrong. So Savar, the rabbi, said, So whatever was, was. In other words, they didn't rip it when they received the news. So it's too, no, you no longer can't do it. Because remember, you only can do it at the time of passion. Time of passion is when you hear the news. So they said, well, listen, we heard it and we didn't do it, so we're not obliged for that. So they figure, well, still don't have to do it. Amli Abai Abai says, wait a minute, Tanina, we learned in Abraisa, Chacham, call, if it's a wise man who dies, calls Mancha Oiski Behesped, Chayavim Likro, as long as they're engaged in eulogizing him, they're still obligated to rip their garments on his account. So if he didn't do that previously, so eulogies were still being held. That is, throughout the shiv or even beyond, if eulogies continues. Interesting. So then I guess they thought, so apparently it, they figured, okay, let's rip right away. But right, right then there was no eulogy going on at that moment. So these guys can do no right over here. Tanya, it says, Chacham, Regarding a sage who died, his honor is served by ripping irons during the eulogy. So you got to wait for the next eulogy. In other words, it comes out like this. When you hear the chacham dies, you're shocked and you're sad. Rip your garment. You didn't rip it then. You wait for the next eulogy. The eulogy will arouse it. So therefore, that's how it has to work. Again, nowadays we don't paskin this way because it's very hard to determine what kind of chacham are we talking about. We're talking about a moroyim in the Gemara. 
These are incredibly big scholars. And we discussed in the SCP class, it's hard to determine who is this type of scholar nowadays. And therefore, the halacha is we don't rip if you hear that a great rabbi dies. But anyway, next story. Now, let's talk about when Rav Huna passed away. Now, there's a very interesting thing. What they, I guess they had such a custom. They wanted to place a Torah scroll on the coffin, on top. And when did that happen? When Chizkio died, that's what they did. They put a Torah on top of the coffin, which makes a statement. This one, the deceased, fulfilled what was written in this Sefer Torah. Okay, you'd have to do it with a really great person. Chizkio for sure was such a person. He created the whole Balchuva movement during the times of the first base of Migdash. He undid everything his evil father did, and all the children, everybody knew Torah completely. So they want to show this honor to him that he, Mamish, restored Torah to everybody. So they wanted to do the same thing with Rafuna. So it's interesting. The first story was a case where they did not respect a rabbi properly. Here, you really, you really want to respect him. So that's what they wanted to do. So Amr Lahor Rav Chista, Rav Chista said, wait a minute, Mil said to Bechayelos really, something that Rav Huna did not consider correct during his lifetime, to rest upon the same bed as a Torah scroll. Would he ever sit on a bed where there's a Torah scroll? Hashtalikam leili ovidli. Now he should rise, now he should do it then for him. In other words, he felt it was disrespectful to the Torah scroll. The Amar of Tachlifa, for Rav Tachlifa once told over, Ana Chazisel Rav Huna. I saw when Rav Huna was alive. The boy Lamesavapur, he wanted to sit down upon a bed. Have a monarch safe toilet, but there was a Torah scroll resting on it. And Vakov Kadarara, and before seating himself, he inverted a jug on the ground. So that would be a stand for Osif Sefer Torah. And he placed the Torah scroll upon the jug so that he wouldn't sit on a bed with the Torah scroll. Alma Kasavar must be he held. You're not allowed to sit upon a bed that has a Torah scroll resting on it. So therefore it's inappropriate to put the thing on top of his coffin. Now there is a machlokas. Because when Armanacha says a different view of Rabbi Yochanan who permits sitting oneself upon a bed or a bench and has a Torah scroll on it. But the Lacha follows Ravuna. Okay, so now the, the thing is, wait a minute, if that's the case, how could Chizki have done this? Right? The answer is it was appropriate because it was extraordinary what he did. What he did was beyond. As we said, he turned the whole Jewish people around. But otherwise, this is not appropriate. One, that's a one-off exception. But what is an interesting halacha, it's not only a safer Torah, it's also, what about Svarim? So there is a whole discussion. Now, if you, um, we don't have here, but let's say there's benches in a shul. Okay, it's a bench. And if, let's say someone has the sitter or chumish on the bench. Can you sit on the bench with the thing? So it's a big discussion. And some say, if you stand it up, then that's okay, as opposed to down. So, 
It's a big discussion. I know in, in our yeshiva, it's going back 40 years plus, 50 already almost, um, that they were they did, did have a stand. And the answer was, because if you don't put it down the bench, where do you put it? Way in the back with all the books in the bookcase. So you have to understand when a guy's learning in yeshiva a whole day, if he's going to have to put every book back, he's going to spend half his time walking back and forth in the basement. They never had tables. What? They never had tables. They didn't have tables. They had benches and standers. So yeah, so the stender is to put one book on, not five. So I know a lot of times you have a Gemara and then you're looking up something and you, you've seen the pictures of great ravages, eight books open, right? So it becomes difficult um, to do that. So they, they allowed the leniency and there were lots of, sparm, but they all had to be straight up. It couldn't be flat, it had to be straight up. Uh, so that now some guys wanted to be extra particular and didn't do that so it, I always found it interesting but the Rosh Hashivas you see they didn't sit on a bench they, they were in the front by the Mizrach wall and they had regular seats like bucket seats that opened up so they they would then separate seats so they would have their seat and then the seat next to them would be five Gemars but they weren't sitting on it Okay, I guess they're not going to have a pew by the Rosh Hashimas, but, uh, but they allowed it. Okay, so that's, I guess, in a world where you have to have a lot of sfarim, but if it's only one, then obviously, why don't you just put it back? So let's say, I'm trying to go to a place, let's say a place like the Bayit, right? There are pews, right? No, they don't have pews in the Bayit. In the Addis Israel, uh, in Hamilton, they have pews. So then, but they have that little thing in front, you know, the little pouch. So they don't have to do that. They put it in. That's why you should put a thing over there. So if you're in a shul that has pews, then you should have structured things to put the things not on the pews that go in front of the pews. Okay. So therefore, so they, they said it's not appropriate to have the thing. And therefore, they take away the safer Torah for this rabbi. All right? So now they continue the account of the funeral. So, but, but the, the coffin couldn't pass through the door. It was leaving from his house. The funeral started his house. He died on a bed, whatever. Now they want to take, they, they take the bed and him out the door. But the door is too narrow. <laughs> what do you do now? Well, maybe we're going to take him up through the opening of the roof, which is big, with ropes and this and that. Nah. And because Amalek of Chissa says, But we learn Torah from him. And we learn Torah from him. It's honorable to take him through the door. You don't take him through the roof. Well, let's change him from one bed to another bed, a, a narrower one. I heard the following from Rav Huna. It's honorable for a Chacham to go on the original bed. You can't switch beds. He said, How do we know that it's an honor for a Chacham to go with the original bed that he died on? It says, clearly, This is when David HaMelech transported the Aaron from the house of Avinadov 
in, uh, in to go to uh, the city of David, and they use the term Agola Chadosha, a new wagon. Describes the special wagon the Plishtim made. Remember the Plishtim had to return the Aron that they stole? It still was in that one. It didn't say they made a new wagon. They placed it upon a new wagon, which was the ones from the Plishtim. That means they never changed it. You keep it in the original one. If you keep it, say, return the original one. So then you keep it Sadiq in the original one. So then what happened? So Paris Bavavku. So they broke open the doorway and widened it in order to bring the coffin out. Wow. Okay. Pasakalei Ravaba. So now they're going to start saying eulogy. So what did Ravaba say about him? Roy Hoy Rabbeinu Shetishlav Shechina. This ray was so great, the Shechina should have descended on him and would have descended on him. Elishib of Bavel, but he lived in Bavel, and in Bavel there's no prophecy. He was that great had he not lived in Bavel. Wait a minute. Mosi Rav, what are you talking about? Brachista says, I'm in the says, Rav Chona Brachista. He says, what about this? Hoya, hoya. There was, there was. Hoya, hoya, Dvar Hashem, Yecheskel, Bamuzia, Kaimberitz, Kazim. Yecheskel received a prophecy in Bavel. No, he says he got in Bavel. So what do you tell me? He would have got a prophecy had he not been in Bavel. So Tavich Le'avu B'Sandalei. So the father of Chissa tapped him on his sandal. In other words, he doesn't want to embarrass him before everybody. Like it's like your wife kicking all the shins under the table. Amar So he said to him, "Lava mina loch." Didn't I tell you, Lotidret Alma? Do not disturb people with uh, unsubstantial challenges. In other words, you can readily answer your question. My Haya, what is the meaning? It says there was the word of Hashem to that the word had already been to Yecheskel previously, meaning since when he was in Eretz Yisroel, he got Nebuah. So then if he's in Golis, he can also get Nebuah. But if someone who's born in Bavel, then he can't get the Nebuah. So you shouldn't have asked the question. Yecheskel got it because he first was in Oven Eretz Yisroel. So don't say that Rav Chista maybe should have got, shouldn't have, Rav Huna shouldn't have got it. He should have. But because he always lived in Bavel, we'll continue with the funeral of Rav Huna tomorrow. Much more halachas to be learned from that. Okay, shukayach.